Now, mission statements are an important aspect of an organisation or a company's uh, existence, if you like, I guess. They are usually simple statements that explain what the organisation or the company does, what it's all about and how it does it. So it's a, a mission statement is something that defines the purpose of the organisation. And it's like the North Star that then guides the organisation towards the goals that it's set. Uh, and it helps to align all of its resources and all of its energy to try and uh, achieve those goals. So I, I've collected together five mission statements from uh, various companies uh, and see if you can guess who they are. All right, no prizes, unfortunately, but see if you can guess. So the first one is this. We exist to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. That's Google. So, good guess. Here's the second one. To enrich people's lives with programs and services that inform, educate and entertain. Well, that's the BBC, if you believe that. There we are. This is, this is my favourite one. To refresh the world and inspire moments of optimism and happiness. Coca-Cola. There we are. Uh, to create a better everyday life for the many people is IKEA. And perhaps one that we can all get on board with. We exist to create happiness through magical experiences. Any ideas? Any ideas at home? That's Disney. So, there we are. Anyway, mission statements are important. We have a mission statement as a church, and it's this. We exist to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ to treasure, apply, and proclaim the gospel to our local community and beyond. Uh, and we believe that that's a mission statement that's drawn from the scriptures and reflects the priority of the scriptures regarding the purpose of the church. And one of the texts that drive our mission statement is Matthew 28. Some of the last words that Jesus spoke before he ascended into heaven. So let's read that together. Here we go from verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's two things that we'll see in this passage in a second uh, that inform what it means for us to gather together as a church and then to go into the world to make disciples. And the first thing we'll see is the commission of the church, so what Jesus tells us to do, and then the confidence that we can have as we go. So the commission and the confidence. But before we jump into what we might consider to be the most important stuff in verses 18 to 20, there's one thing I don't want us to miss in verse 16 and 17 okay because all this comes obviously the passage that we just read is the very end of Matthew's gospel so what we've seen up to now in Matthew's gospel is we've seen Jesus born of a virgin we've seen Jesus tempted in the wilderness we've seen Jesus go from town to town and village to village and place to place proclaiming the truth of the kingdom we've seen Jesus healing the sick and casting out demons and doing miracles 
And then we've seen him suffer and die on a cross. And now right at the end in Matthew 28, he's risen again and he's been raised from the dead and he's got final commissioning words to say to his disciples. Now, all of that stuff has gone before what we are going to get to in verses 18 to 20. And we join it with his 11 disciples. So no Judas because he's betrayed Jesus, but the other 11 gathered on a mountaintop as Jesus directed them. And in verse 17, it tells us what they were doing. Did you notice that? When they saw him, they worshipped him. Now, some of them doubted. Some of them couldn't get their heads around what they were seeing. Some of them couldn't understand everything that was going on. It was all a bit strange to them. They hadn't yet been clothed with power by the Holy Spirit because this is before Pentecost, before Acts chapter 2. But the disciples, in light of all that they had seen, in light of all that they had heard, in light of all that they had experienced, were worshipping the risen Jesus Christ. Their faith might have been weak, they were doubting, their faith might have been, uh, had lots of holes in it, but their response to all that they had seen in Jesus was worship. And before we get into the mission, what we want need to see is that the most defining characteristic, the first and most defining characteristic of the church of Jesus Christ is that we should be a people who worship him. That we should be a people who worship the risen king and the saviour. So Matthew 28 is about mission, but we need to see that before we are a people on mission, we need to be a people on our knees. We need to be a people who are thankful, a people who bow down and worship Jesus in adoration of all that he's done for us. That we praise him and that we worship him and that that's the foundation from which we go on mission towards him. So before we think about Matthew 28 being a, uh, a long list of commands that Jesus tells us to do, we should recognise that they worshipped him for all that he had already done for them. So if we walk away from today's sermon thinking, man, that's a lot of things I've got to do now for Jesus, uh, we'll have missed the most important thing of all that he has already done for us. And if we go away thinking more about what we've got to do than about what Jesus has done for us, we won't get very far in the mission or really in the Christian life. Uh, uh, John Piper wrote a book a few years ago called Let the Nations Be Glad. And the opening paragraph of his opening chapter is a, is a famous kind of paragraph uh, that you can find on the internet. And it says this, it should come up on the screen. Mission is not the ultimate goal of the church. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. And when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. It is the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. So missions begins and ends in worship. And that's what we see in Matthew 28. They worshipped and then they were commissioned. Worship is what we are made for. It's the goal, the aim, the privilege and the end of what we're all about. It's what we'll do for all of eternity. And so that has to be the foundation upon which we build our idea of mission together. Now, having said that, let's consider these two things that come out of the text 
for us. The first one being the commissioning of the church. So what is the church all about? Now, if you've got a Bible like mine, it perhaps says right at the beginning, ahead of this ver- these verses, that the heading of this section is the Great Commission. This idea that we have a Great Commission that Jesus has given us. And there's one command uh, that involves four English words. So there's, there's one command and there's four English words. There's go, make, baptise and teach. But within those four words, one of them is primary in the Greek and the other three are supporting ideas. And the primary idea in this text is this, make disciples. Then the going, the baptising and the teaching in the Greek are all subordinate to that. They are all supporting of that. But the main idea is make disciples, go and baptise and teach. It tells us how to do the making of disciples. So the commission that we've been given as a church is not to go and make converts. It's not to get people to pray a sinner's prayer or to have someone to ask Jesus into their heart, good as those things might be. And and certainly the Great Commission is no less than that. But what our commission is, is to make disciples, to make disciples. Now, what is a disciple? That's the first question we should ask if we're going to work out what the Great Commission is. And if you looked it up in a, in a dictionary, the standard definition is something like this. Someone who adheres to the teachings of someone else. Someone who is a learner and a follower of someone else. And it's often more than just academic. It's usually a kind of all of life teaching and following. So when you apply that then to Jesus, a disciple is someone who listens to and learns from and lives like Jesus. Someone who, because of the work of grace that God has done in their heart, comes alive and begins to live like Jesus, conforming our words and our ways to him. In fact, Jesus said some of the most important words about discipleship in Luke 14 when he said this, Whoever does not bear up his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's verse 27 of Luke 14. Now, what does Jesus mean by bearing our cross? It means more than just enduring hardships or difficult situations that we might face. Bearing our cross means dying with Jesus. It means dying to the old attitudes and the old ways of living, the envy and the strife and the jealousy and the anger and the selfishness and the pride that exists in our hearts. It's dying to those things and turning to follow Jesus in newness of life. So when we make disciples, we invite people to come and die to their old destructive ways of living and to live for Jesus in the newness of life that he has won for us when he gave himself for us. So the church's commission is to make disciples, people, we're called to be disciples, first of all. We're to be people who follow Jesus, who look like him, who serve him, who love him, who live like him, who speak like him, who worship him and who witness and point to him so that we can reproduce and make other people in his image, if you like. So we live as disciples and we point people to Jesus and we tell them about how great he is and by his spirit he does a work in their lives so that they follow him and they become disciples and then they live like him and they tell people about him and it's a cycle that increases and increases. And to be a disciple involves all of our evangelistic and outreach efforts but it also involves our teaching and discipleship efforts. 
And every, so everything that we do as a church is, is supposed to move people from death to life to spiritual infancy to maturity to multiplication. That's what we are all about. And every one of us has a role to play in the great commission of making disciples. So the question next is, how do we make disciples? Well, Jesus tells us three things, doesn't he? He says, firstly, go. So verses 18 to 20, in one sense, are a unique command to the disciples gathered on that mountaintop. They were gathered there in a unique way, and this is a unique command to them where he says, you need to go out of Jerusalem and into Judea and into Samaria and to the ends of the earth, as he'll say in Acts 1 verse 8. But it was also spoken to them in a kind of a representative capacity that they represented the church before Christ at that time. And so when he says to them, go, he also says, go to us. And it's also implied in the fact that he says, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. That, that the fact that he would be with them to the end of the age, uh, they weren't going to live forever. So it must include other disciples more than just the immediate context. So it includes us as well. The whole church as we follow in the footsteps of those first disciples. And the Great Commission then is not something that individuals uh, fulfill, but something that we have to do together as a church. It's not fulfilled by one part of the body, it's fulfilled by all the body working together. Jesus here puts us all under his orders and his command to go and spread the good news and use all of our ingenuity and our energy and our enterprise to make the gospel known and noticeable to the world around us. Now that might mean that some of us go as missionaries overseas on short-term missions or even long-term missions from time to time, but some of us won't. Probably most of us won't. But all of us are called to be witnesses, to go and tell our friends and our families and the people that we work with and our neighbours and um, strangers in the community, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right now, all of us, whether we're in this room or we're at home on the camera, watching on the camera, we all have people in our lives right now that need to hear about Jesus. And we've all got to be willing to go and talk to those people about Jesus not to be a salesman to try and get them just to tick a box or pray a prayer, but to be a witness. Now, what does it mean to be a witness? If you stood in court, you would witness to all that you had seen and heard. So to be a witness for Jesus is to tell people about all that we've seen and heard. To tell them about what God has done in our lives. To tell them about how we have come to know the Jesus of the Bible. And to be a witness is also to love people with a contagious love and a contagious hospitality that makes them want to know more. So part of our going to make disciples is about having a passion for Jesus to be known beyond our families, beyond our four walls and beyond our Sunday services. And Jesus commands all of us to go and make disciples. That might be the children that God has put in our households that we make disciples now it might be the neighbor across our road who we reach out to and share the gospel with and they get saved and we encourage them and we stir them up and we strengthen them and we disciple them in whatever context we are all called and equipped by the holy spirit to make disciples of all nations
So we go, but then we also baptize. As people respond to the gospel, as they respond in faith to Jesus Christ, we baptize them. So we get, down, we get them down in the water, that symbol of initiation and inclusion in Jesus. That the person who steps down into, into the baptismal tank identifies with Jesus and says, I am a follower of Jesus. I am a disciple of Jesus. I have decided to follow him. I have died to myself and am living in newness of life that he has given to me. I belong to him and I follow him. That's what baptism is all about. And so we go... We make disciples through baptizing them as they respond in faith in Christ. And then we teach, thirdly. We teach them. So a disciple, if a disciple is one who listens to Jesus and learns from Jesus and obeys Jesus and worships Jesus and witnesses to Jesus, they need to know all about Jesus. And so we have to teach them all about Jesus. Everything that he has commanded us through his own life and ministry in the red letters of your Bible and everything that his word says to us from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We're to teach people what Christ has done and what he has commanded. Now, sometimes people set up false dichotomies where they say, uh, well, evangelism, evangelism is more important than discipleship or discipleship is more important than outreach. And they kind of set up these false dichotomies pitting one idea against the other and yet we could certainly say that certain churches are better at one thing or another we might even say that our church might be right now better at teaching than we are at evangelism and certainly in the current climate it's really hard for us to evangelize isn't it as a corporate body but we shouldn't be people who pit one idea against the other or this is a church that has too much teaching and not enough evangelism. Or this is a church that has too much evangelism and not enough teaching. The, the ideas are, are not to be pitted against one another. We don't see the need to lift up one part of our making of disciples by tearing down another part. What we say is we give thanks to God for the fact that, hey, we're a church that right now is, is teaching people well. We praise God for that. We don't apologize for that. We are... We, don't ever want to apologize for being a theologically minded church we see the importance of biblical knowledge and truth and yet we praise god for that and we pray that he would make us more evangelistic as well you've got to have all three you've got to have going baptizing and teaching if you're going to make if we're going to fulfill the great commission together think about it like this if we go and teach but we don't baptize we might go to people and teach them lots of important information. We might get people interested in the gospel and in the Bible, but if we don't baptize, we'll never build a church because we need to go baptize and teach to make disciples. Now, if we go and we baptize, but we never teach, we might get more converts. We might see more people come into through the doors, but we won't build the sort of church that Jesus wants us to be. We've got to go baptize and teach. And if we never go, well, we're going to be limited on how much baptizing and teaching we can do. So we've got to have all three. Go, baptize and teach to make disciples. And we want to be a church that helps, makes, matures and multiplies people who love the Lord God with all of their heart, soul, mind and strength. Now that sounds like a pretty big deal, doesn't it? And a tall order and a very difficult thing for us to accomplish. And you'd be right. Which is why Jesus doesn't stop there. 
he gives us the confidence to trust him. The church's confidence. In and of ourselves, this is an impossible task. But Jesus comes to us and he says two things that should instill great confidence in us in our going, baptizing and teaching to make disciples. Did you see this? He, makes two, he says two statements, one at the beginning and one at the end. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then I am with you always to the end of the age. That's our confidence, not how clever we are, not how creative we are, not how competent we are, but that we belong to Jesus. He's got all the authority and he is with us. So as we go to make disciples, we don't go alone. We don't go out to conquer. We simply go to witness to the victorious king who has already conquered sin and death and hell and Satan on our behalf and who now reigns forever. So we don't go alone. We go together as a body and we go together with our head who promises always to be with us every day, day after day, forever. We go with Jesus, who is the great evangelist and the great disciple maker. We go with him who is mighty to save to the uttermost any who will trust in him. And this confidence that he has all authority, that he can't fail, that he can't be thwarted, that he can't be stopped. And the fact that he is with us, the reigning king, with all power, with all authority, is with us. With us. That should change the way that we view the task. That should change the way that we view ourselves. That should change the way that we view our world. He's called us to be his witnesses, to testify to the good news of his saving power. And he goes with us, with everything we need to empower us, to strengthen us, to help us, with everything we need to unlock hearts and minds, to change wills and to save souls. So let's go with confidence in the risen Christ of the cross, who is the reigning king of all, who right here, right now, in our city, in your life and in my life, has people that he crosses paths with us by his sovereignty that he wants to save. So let's devote ourselves to playing our part in this great mission to make disciples of all nations. And let's do what William Carey, the father of modern missions, once said, which we've said before, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. Let's pray.